Hi. Hey. I'm Jason. I'm Jack. And welcome to The Devil Wears Pravda. Uh, this is technically episode three. Right, this is the third Behind the scenes! This is technically episode three, but uh, we're going to launch it as our first because uh, I think we can both agree that the first two were more or less us kind of... Uh, getting our shit together and kind of figuring out formatting. Also, it, they were, and we'll release them, but they were more topics that could be covered whenever. Exactly. And we felt this is a little bit more pertinent. Um, we are in a current audit for our podcasts, uh, the first two that we did. So as soon as the audit is completed, we will be happy to release those to yeah, the general just public. Just tweet at us and tell us to release them, and we'll tell you to go fuck yourself. I think facts started when it all started. It's always okay to punch a Nazi. You're telling me that I can use this phone for more than checking Facebook and Grinder on the go? Fuck you and fuck Mars. Things are the best they've ever been. So the only way to go is down. Oh, I built a straw man argument. Here's the thing though, this shit still stinks. So that's when that's when women's rights really mattered was back then. A podcast by the people, for the people, and of the people. All right, so before we bury ourselves under liberal propaganda, uh, why don't we explain a little bit what we're doing here? Um, basically, this is... A, a civics podcast Yeah, is I, how I've kind of been describing it to people. I like that terminology. It's, uh, it's more or less kind of a refresher course um, for... A lot of stuff that you're going to be hearing about, seeing in, you know, the these days, obviously, but in the next four years, and stuff that's going to affect your in life. In general. Yeah, I mean. This podcast could run forever because there's so much stuff in the government. <laughs> there really is. It's honestly. There's so many things, Jason. I have witnessed Jack tying nooses multiple times on previous episodes just for the sheer amount of information that we're dealing with here. Um, however, it's interesting, and above all else, it's important um, I, normally, I wouldn't say that, but based on my Facebook news feed, it seems it's incessantly important. And the other thing that strikes me is that a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. Um, and in some cases, myself included. So after right. the 25th or 30th time of drunkenly arguing with people on Facebook, I had to ask myself if maybe I was the problem and what I was trying to accomplish. And I, you know, after some soul searching and some more whiskey, I decided that I just wanted the truth, whether that is because, you know, I don't even think I need to say this because I think the truth is it's nonpartisan. Uh, it the can, truth is important. It's, and the truth is the truth. It is. And uh, it, we'd also like to point out that we have been recording this for two weeks prior to this. So we were ahead of the alt facts curve. And I think that sort of thing uh, makes this more important than ever. Um, we are we have our own political biases. I think it's safe to say, but we're I mean, doing our you best can to keep them. Tell from the top of the podcast what they are. But we're doing our best to keep those out of it because uh, I think whether you're a conservative or whether you're um, a uh, liberal, you should know what you're talking about if you're going to talk about it at all. So uh, we just we're going to hear we're here to focus on the facts. You know, we're going to keep it as apolitical as as possible. Um, and we decided the best way to go about that is to examine what's going on, uh, where the world is currently and put it uh, in kind of a historical context. Exactly. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to make it a point to debunk a lot of things that you're going to see going around because it's really easy to, 
uh, digest stuff that's prepackaged for you in terms of memes or posts that someone else does that you can just like or share, and you can basically allow that to define your political agenda without any kind of fact-checking. Look, and we know it's very hard to go out and find the multiple sources you need to find the real facts, and that's why we're doing it. We're going to, you know, it's, it's like, let us Google that for you. Um, but what it comes down to is, at the end of the day, if you know, if you have Facebook and you have access to the internet, uh, because believe it or not, you can use the internet for a myriad of things besides Amazon, besides pornography, uh, besides reading articles on Cracked or what have you. Um, so it, I think, with that power, uh, that you have responsibility to fact check and to be informed if it matters to you. And if- that's. The podcast is called The Devil Calls Pravda. Pravda is Russian for truth. It is. It is. I th- it's actually The Devil Wears Pravda. So um, What did I say? You said calls Pravda. Um, I meant to <laughs> say wears. Uh, as in where's the guy who's going to be replacing you? <laughs> uh, I hope he has a podcast set up in his house. So Jack and I, uh, it's we've decided to take this upon ourselves. And in, in the process, we've learned a lot of things that we had no idea about um and that's going to continue hopefully because knowledge is power you know uh and uh that sounds really dumb and cliche sometimes but it's it's the one thing that keeps you from looking like an asshole online so we decided to start uh with uh executive orders today because as you know a myriad have been placed it's in the news it's in the news and people are going what are executive orders can the president do whatever he wants whenever he wants? Can that power remain unchecked? Where are my keys? Stuff like that. So, um, Our, I, yeah, I don't know if we can help you find your keys. Yeah, we would love to help you find your keys. Uh, you can use them to take your car to the library. Where you can learn more stuff if this doesn't satisfy you. Hi, I'm Jack. <laughs> We're just restarting. Do you, okay, do you want me to just start yeah, with just my let, stuff? Or do you, do you just want to redo the whole intro? No, <laughs> this is good. I just didn't know how to jump from intro to shit. You are still Jack, though, right? Yes. Okay. I, I'm going to keep checking in and make sure that keeps being the facts. On the other side of the table. All right. <laughs> so, hey, let's talk about them. Executive orders. Tell me what you learned, Jack. Well, I did learn that basically every president, this is kind of history stuff, and every president has issued orders that could be considered executive orders. Okay. Uh, The only kind of outlier is William Henry Harrison. He didn't do anything because he died in a month. Uh, Yep, I have that. It was March 4th, 1841 to April 4th, 1841. Yeah. Brutal. Sorry, guy. Uh, oh, good old WHA. But hey, here's here's how you become the most loved president: you die in office. Don't do anything that pisses anyone off. He nailed it. Get out of there. He nailed it. Get in and out in a month. Uh, uh-huh. so while p- presidents had been issuing things that could be considered executive orders, they weren't like issued publicly they were really only seen by the agencies to which they direct they were directed um but beginning in 1907 the state department instituted a numbering scheme uh they actually started the numbering retroactively 
which is kind of interesting, but not all the way back to like 1776 or whenever George Washington issued his first kind of order. I have 1789. 1789. Okay. Um, yeah, because that 1776 was before when we started the revolution. Anyway, um, I just know that date because of the musical. Uh, but basically, they they started numbering with an order from 1862. Uh, that that is issue that is executive order zero 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 one or whatever. Um, and that was actually had been issued by Lincoln. And it was an order where Lincoln, uh, it was like a whole thing kind of leading up to the Civil War. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus mm-hmm. for a prisoner, a political prisoner kind of. Um, he, he, it, it was a person who was just causing trouble. Uh, he was put in jail. And the president was like, yeah, I'm suspending the writ of habeas corpus. Like, you just stay there. Like, I'm not... I'm not giving you a time in court. So let me ask you real quick. So you said that they they started numbering them with Lincoln's at 0001. I mean, I'm assuming with one. So are the ones before him not numbered at all? Are yeah, they- no. They Well, they didn't even start numbering them or cataloging them until 1907, but then they retroactively reached back to 1862. Interesting. Because I guess I, I don't know why. Uh, I couldn't really find any reason why they picked that one. Maybe it was the one that seemed the most like an executive order as it had become I like to, I like to imagine that the guy who's in charge of numbering them didn't realize that Lincoln wasn't the first president. And he's like, here's the report, guys. And they're like, you know, Washington was the first president. And he's like, fuck. Just, we'll just say it starts here. No one even cares. No one cares. <laughs> no one's going to pay attention to executive orders. Well, screw you, guy we've made up, Mr. <laughs> Straw Man. We... We are paying attention. We're doing this podcast. Um, Taking you to task. Yeah. <laughs> so there are actually now over 13,000 numbered orders um, since they started numbering them in 1907, but starting with a one from 1862, which is very confusing. Um, so the use of the executive orders really took off, though, uh, in the time between the start of the Great Depression and the lead up to World War II. Uh, during this time, Congress extended wide latitude to the president to act in the best interest of a nation facing economic crisis and war. Basically, the Congress was like, you know, we're slow and <laughs> wars go fast. Let's just let the president kind of do things via executive order. Um, Franklin D. Roosevelt, then, because he was the president during uh, one of the presidents during that time, uh, he is the winner of most executive orders uh, by, like, a lot. He issued 3,522 executive orders that at, is a lot. in his time in office. Um, like, pe- people got upset about, like, the last president issuing a bunch of executive orders and overstepping. no. Roosevelt still has him beat by over 3,000. Yeah, it totals out to 290 a year. A lot of those were, uh, yeah, it's because of war. Um, he used Moe's a lot to seize factories, to seize mines, uh, and then other privately held assets um, uh, also for wartime production. Side fact, in case you're interested, the amount of uh, executive orders prior to Lincoln was 143. Uh, yeah. I mean, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Everyone is welcome. You're all welcome. <laughs> um, oh, awesome. I, 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 I'm such a dick, and I'm such a... I think because the, the birthday today uh, that Google is celebrating was the guy who was 
famous for trying to get these things uh, out of commission. One of the things that Franklin D. Roosevelt did with an executive order was establish Japanese internment camps. That's true. Yeah. Um, And today is the birthday. Hold on. Let me go to Google because it'll tell me. There's the doodle. He also, that was intrinsic in that was he also denied the right of habeas corpus. Right. Um, Yeah. Fred Korematsu. uh, Happy birthday. (laughs) Um, Even though you've been dead for 12 years. Um, (laughs) Small world. Small world. Uh, look, I used Google a lot today to look up stuff. I kept seeing Fred. And I when I saw that making the internment camps was an executive order, I had to include that. It makes sense. Uh, I'm not going to eat your lunch for that. Yeah. So executive orders are generally used to die, uh, direct the federal agencies and the officials in their uh, ex- execution of congressionally established laws or policies. Um, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get to that later. But basically, executive orders are only really useful if they are expounding upon or building upon already established laws. Okay. Um, it, it, they're not really used to make up new it's laws. It's not creating new directives right. or laws. And I get, I'll get more into that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but um, in many cases, they have been used to guide agencies and directions contrary Contrary to congressional intent. I think I got that sentence right off of a liberal blog, but um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, but that also, I would think that it would work both ways. I mean, right. if, if the president is Republican and he's not, you right. know, if he's Right, a, it's, it's kind of to be consoled. like, no, the law means this, you guys. And the Congress is like, well, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, there are actually a couple different kinds of executive orders. Um, one is a proclamation. Okay. Uh, those tend to be more ceremonial or symbolic, so we're not going to talk about them. So it's kind of like when the president's like, hey, it's National Take Your Kid to Work Day. Yeah, okay. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Fine. Sure. Um. And then there's another subset that are concerned with national security and defense issues. Okay. Um. And those have generally been known as national security directives. Okay. But we're talking about executive orders kind of in their purest form today. Do you, now, there's a difference between executive orders and presidential directives, right? Now, is that what you just covered? Are those presidential directives? or? Um, I think... No, I, those are those are technically pre- orders, but... Um, just kind like, of a different subset? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Because um, they are called different things. Like, they are called proclamations, and they're called uh, national security directives. Interesting. And, but I think there are subsets of what people consider to be executive orders. It's things the president says. Sort of the way that, like, sanctions is a right. thing, and there's a, a bunch of different ways to right. Okay. Right. Um, so executive orders do not require congressional approval to take effect. Uh, but they do have the same weight as laws passed by Congress. Hooray. Um, the president's source of authority to issue executive orders is found in Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, which grants the president the executive power. Uh, so they actually say that in the Constitution. And then Section 3 of Article 2 further directs the president to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Which, in legalese, means nothing. Okay. Like, it just, to me, it feels like, yeah, make sure they're legally executed. 
What does that mean? That's not a that's not a directive. Like <laughs> from from uh, I, I just googled it just out of curiosity, and it looks like presidential directives require the advice of the National Security Council okay. to order to be enacted. So I'd imagine those are probably more along the lines of national defense or uh, acts of war yeah. or something, and you know that would pertain to, to the right. security of the nation. So. But it's still not a law passed by Congress. Exactly. I think yeah. it's an executive order. It's like an executive decision. It sidesteps that process. Pre- pre- the president state. isn't the only executive. Right. Like, um, as we talked about in the sanctions one, uh, you know, the executive branch is the president and the whole cabinet and everyone. In the, like, so, yeah. It's a lot. Um, so... Yeah, actually, kind of the next sentence was to implement or execute the laws of the land. Presidents give direction and guidance to executive branch agencies and departments, often in the form of executive orders. It makes um, sense. So, however, even because they have the full legal weight of laws passed in Congress, uh, they are also subject to judicial review. Yes. Um so it's not just the president's going, I can do anything I want and no one can stop me. Which no. is important to remember when you're seeing these executive orders pop up one after the other in your news feed, that checks and balances do still exist. It's mm-hmm. not a totalitarian. Totalitarian. And Thank you, sir. Nope. I messed it up too. I put it two ends on it. I, quit. I couldn't stop before. <laughs> it's not a dictatorship. Yeah. Totalitarian. <laughs> there we go. Um, so basically that means the Supreme Court or really any federal court um any court but typically um it'll be a federal court um can rule an executive order as unconstitutional um or they can deem it unsupported by statute so they're saying they can say no (laughs) is there is there any kind of rebuttal that can happen after that or is, is it once it's slashed is it done i think once it's once the that a particular executive order is said to be nope it doesn't either it doesn't either refine a law or fit into any laws we already have you're making something up sure um i mean i it's done but i'm sure the president can go back and kind of rewrite it to fit within whatever and then the whole thing will start over but i so you're saying legal cases are long so typically by the time that's decided I'm sure the president has moved on to other things. That actually that makes a lot of sense. So what basically what you're saying is that it has to, in for an executive order to go in effect, it can't create a new law. It has to be contingent upon something that's already in existence in some form. Right. That makes a lot of sense with something we're going to talk about later that I was confused on. So, um, so major policy policy initiatives require approval by the legislative branch, but executive orders have significant influence over the internal affairs of government. Uh, deciding how and to what degree legislation will be enforced. Um, and especially when dealing with emergencies, waging wars, and in general, fine-tooling policy choices. Um, so, for example, and I, I, it got confusing for me, so I included an example. Okay. Um, Truman uh, issued an executive order number 10340, um, and it actually placed all the steel mills in the country under federal control. Um, it was challenged. Uh, the courts found it invalid because it attempted to make a law uh, rather than clarifying or acting to further an existing law. Did it say why he was wanting to do that? Was it? That seemed like um, it, it was like... the Korean War, I believe. So for production. Um, basically, there was a whole thing with steel. We needed a bunch of steel to go to war, but the steel prices were fl- fluctuating wildly. 
uh, due to like labor disputes and everything about like that. There's just, and so Truman was like, no, <laughs> it's my control. Here's the price. I'm going to pay for it for the war. Um, and people were like, no, you can't do that. Interesting. Interestingly, when I was looking that one up, um, and I actually mentioned it earlier, Roosevelt with his fucking 3000 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those were during war and he actually, he did the same thing with like wood mills and like lump steel mills. Yeah, I mean, like he did a lot of, they let him get away with it, but Woodrow Wilson was much less liked. And so they kind of stopped him. Was it, it was it Wilson or Truman? Uh, Truman, never Truman. Truman, sorry. Say Truman was no slouch himself. It looks like he had 907 yeah. executive orders. Yeah. Uh, Truman was just much less liked. So I think that's why they challenged him as opposed to roosevelt who they're like yeah sure you can have all of the mills for production of war stuff also world war ii was a much less decisive divisive war than like the korean war yeah Uh, everyone's like yes yeah um so um so the courts found truman's executive order invalid because it attempted to make law um so that decision actually established a standard for the exercise of executive power um one of the judges um, that was on the side of saying, like, no, you can't do it, wrote something to, like, you know, his consenting opinion. Um, and he kind of laid out three situations and their corresponding levels okay. of presidential authority. I just thought this was interesting. Yeah. Um, so he said, I should have written down his name because he's important, but I didn't. God damn it. Um, <laughs> I'm still getting the hang of this podcast thing. Um, Facts are important. Uh, the president acts with the most authority when he has the express or implied consent of Congress. So that's, that is again, kind of going back to when Congress is like, cause Congress is slow yeah. and they want to, they're like on purpose. Right. I mean, it's, it's right, right. But they're like, look, we need a thing passed right now. Um, the president does it and the Congress doesn't really take any umbrage with it. Cause like, yeah, that's kind of what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, uh, the president has uncertain authority in situations where Congress has not imposed its authority, either by inaction or indifference, uh, and the president takes advantage of this zone of twilight. Ooh. Um, we got to get sued uh, <laughs> to make an executive decision. So basically, he was like, yep, well, the Congress hasn't said anything about this, so I'm just going to do it. Um, and then the president acts with the least authority when he issues an executive order that is incompatible with the expressed or implied will of Congress. So if Congress has come out and said, like, a bunch of members of Congress have been like, yeah, we don't like this thing. And then the president does something about it anyway. Yeah, that's kind of the hottest water the president can be in as a, when it comes to executive actions. So, so would you say it's a fair assessment that typically... Uh, executive orders aren't overturned or challenged. I mean, more often than not, they're just kind of let through. I mean, or is that is it a pretty large discrepancy as far as that goes? Um, I seem to remember in my research only them talking about a few being yeah, explicitly challenged. Yeah, I only saw like you know? several of them ever only being challenged. Because a lot of them are very much, and I think the idea behind them is t- a lot of executive orders more specify rules within an already existing law exactly like that's kind of their main purpose is to use a law that already exists to specify a specific part of it without without having it go through the drudging process of 
Congress and, right. and right. approval and committees. Yeah, no, I think yeah, because I, I, no, that's a good question, and I kind of had it myself because everything I looked up, I looked up like four or five different things about the history, and it only brought up the same four or I five. Seen, I seem to remember like, Truman and Roosevelt challenges. being yeah. the ones that were. Now, I do know that William Henry Harrison had no challenges on any of his executive orders. Well, because everyone loved him and he died. That's true. Which he is, did everyone a favor. Again, and just is the best way out. to to do be a president, as far as I can tell. He just tell. peaced out. He was like, "Nah, I'm done." Um, um, he had great sideburns. So basically, um, if you read executive orders since then, um, the the presidents will be careful to cite what specific laws they're acting under or okay. acting to clarify, um, or they will make sure to state that they're issuing their order with the authority granted to them by the Constitution and kind of even say, sometimes even say what article of the Constitution or whatever they're acting under. Um, so it's it's harder to challenge them because it's like, well, there is, you can't just say, you can't just, you just, you just show me a picture of William Henry Harrison. He's a beautiful man. Uh, <laughs> R.A.P. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you, you yeah. It, it it it's it's harder to challenge executive orders based on um wait you made that up yeah no which I mean, is which is a legal term by the way the citation is important and uh, like I said I think we'll touch on something a little bit later that's very prominent in the news right now and uh it I think those two things coinciding are going to make a lot of yeah. sense I actually probably have the same thing and I actually but that was my next paragraph but I will hold on to it and then I actually even wrote Jason I can't do this anymore do your thing okay. Um, I, I, because of the thing that's in the news, I kept falling into holes about that specifically. Um, well, thank you, Jack. And thanks, William Henry Harrison, uh, the patron saint of this podcast. RIP. <laughs> oh, please. That's, let's not say that until we know everything he did <laughs> in his one month in office. He may have said some awful stuff while yeah, he was it president. It could have been. Or before he was president. That's true. We'll have to fact check that. Put an asterisk by him being the, the patron saint. But if not, he's going on a t-shirt. Um, so uh, as we talked about um, a little bit before, I, I kind of wanted to delve into some of the more famous and infamous executive orders uh, that have occurred over the years. Um, and you're talking about how Lincoln, I guess, is the first one that they counted for numerical reasons in the retro. Yeah, I don't know why they went back and they're like, we'll do a Lincoln. <laughs> I'll just start with Lincoln. Well, uh, so the Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order, which I had I had no mm-hmm. idea. To me, that just seemed like... It probably was a law or something. I mean, I'm sure I learned it at one point, but... Well, I thought it was just, like, a speech. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, basically, and I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, it it was on... Uh, it was it was more or less a threat, in a way, before it became uh, an executive order. Um, it was sort of meant to coerce the southern states into uh, kind of getting out of what was going on before it happened. Um, and essentially, it was enacted uh, January 1st, 1863, and it freed all slaves living in the Confederacy. Uh, subnote, it did not, however, free the slaves in the border states of Kentucky, Missouri, Maryland, Delaware, or West Virginia, um, states that permitted slavery but had not seceded from the Union yet. So um, it's, uh, it's interesting that that was an executive order, and I mean— Obviously, it was a very divided Congress at that time. Well, there, I, I'm sure you'll touch on them too. There's other executive orders that, like, um, what's it called? Desegregated the army. Exactly. Like, that was an executive order. Yeah, um, that was actually uh, a, a Truman one in February 1948. 
Uh, it was a 10-point proposal on extending civil rights to African Americans, and included in the plan was a proposal to desegregate the military and phase out the all-black units dating back to the Civil War. Um, and this is an interesting thing I found out about this. Uh, so he vastly underestimated the reaction of his fellow Democrats, who that July seceded from the Democratic Party and formed the Dixiecrat Party with Strom Thurmond uh, as its nominee for president. Less than two weeks later, Truman issued Executive Order 9981 and declared it to be the policy of the president that there shall be quality of treatment and opportunity for all persons in the armed services without regard to race, color, religion, or national origin. And by 1953, 95% of all African-American service members had been integrated into previously all-white units. Um, which is, I mean, it's interesting to see the kind of, uh, the process that goes through it, because it's not like he was just like, eh, executive order, slaps it down on the desk. I mean, he went to Congress with it first, and the, mm -hmm. the uh, reaction to it was so strong that it divided the Democratic Party, which is insane to think about, because we think about the Democratic Party now as an Being insanely so socially liberal, you It's know, so strong. It's I, not going to tear itself apart. <laughs> Neither, both of the parties love everyone else inside the party uh, and will never tear themselves apart from the inside. You're right. I I don't even know why we're even doing this podcast because things are great and it just seems like everything's going really well. Things are perfect, Jason. <laughs> things um, are things have never been better. Uh, and and I love having uh, I love the sand that my head is in. Yes. I mean it's it's either in the sand or firmly planted up your ass. Um so uh, you, you touched on the Japanese-American internment, which, uh, I mean, that was obviously a pretty dark chapter in um, American history. Uh, and uh, another one that was interesting was the New Deal itself was an executive order, which I didn't realize itself one of the biggest social welfare programs as far as work went. Um, and it was in 1935 in an effort to combat a 25% unemployment rate. 60% drops in commodities and an 85% loss of stock market value. So when you see facts and stuff about, you know, 7% unemployment or 4% unemployment, it's been a lot worse, like less than 100 years ago. It's been way worse. So um, it, things can always get worse, which uh, we'll be keeping our eye on. And um, the last one that I want to touch on. Wait, was hold on. I mean, that's true because things are the best they've ever been. Yeah, I mean, it's... So the only way to go is down. I would think so. If it went any better, we would achieve uh, pure energy and transcend to the stars, I believe, is the next step of human evolution. Um, and then the last one I'll touch upon was... Uh, this was interact enacted by JFK uh, in 1961. And then uh, it also said that it was enacted by uh, Lyndon Johnson in 1965. So I'm wondering if there was a lapse um, with the executive order once Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure how that works because, I, I mean, I know. If he enacted it, though, it was an act. Like, it wasn't just, like, drafted by JFK, was it? And I, then I, enacted I mean, by LBJ? I don't know. It was it was weird to see two names on it. But I know that Johnson took over for right. after Kennedy was assassinated. But uh, his was a requirement that government contractors implement affirmative action policies and employment practices. Um, so that's where you're kind of seeing it get tacked on to other things because affirmative action was in the process or being, you know, around at that point, I would assume I would need to fact check that, but obviously it had to be. Otherwise he wouldn't have been able to just throw that out there and use that terminology, I would think. So, um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see stuff like that. Um, and now Jack, we're going to play a little game as we are wont to do. Um, I am going to, uh, give you, uh, a couple names 
and you are going to tell me who you think out of them produced the most executive orders. Okay. Does that sound like fun? It doesn't matter because we're doing it anyway. No. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, out of Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and Bill Clinton, who do you think enacted the most executive orders? I'm going to go Clinton. Clinton was second with 364. Uh, Ronald Reagan with 381. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you touched on some, some really big ones. I mean, Franklin, uh, FDR, 3,522. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, uh, who had a great name, uh, 1,203. Um, and that ran from August 2nd, 1923 to March 4th, 1929. Um, so I'm assuming there might have been some economic executive orders in that time frame. I'm not really sure. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt with 1,081. Um, so, I mean, there's been... All, Herbert Hoover had 968. Uh, I mean, there's been... And how many did William Henry Harrison have? Zero. A big fat zero. Okay, cool. Best president of all time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this... these. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad this podcast is leading the charge. It is. Uh, of William Henry Harrison, best president. I think it's time that he gets the respect he deserves, you know? Um, William Henry Harrison for president again. <laughs> Ghost president. He's, I, is that a Disney movie? Um, Disney Channel original. Um, <laughs> so uh, I the the next thing I would like to do is I would like to do a, a just a brief review of the executive orders that have happened so far in Trump's administration. We're up to uh, seven in the first week, um, which I, I wouldn't say is necessarily. I will say I was kind of reading some kind of un fairly unbiased articles. It felt like yeah. Um, and honestly, a lot of presidents tend to sign a lot of executive orders in their first few weeks. That, yeah, I mean, that's what I wanted to say was that it's not unprecedented. Um, and it's, it's the another... The kind he's signing is a little unprecedented. Sure. Because, uh, like... But as far as just getting talk, in there... And... I'm going to look this one up. No, go ahead. Um, um, I think it was... <clears throat> but, I mean, that's a fair point. I mean, as far as just getting in there, I mean... The last uh, three presidents prior to uh, Trump enacted over 250 executive orders each throughout the tenure. Um, now, granted, they all had eight-year uh, residencies as the president. Right. Um, Clinton had 364. Bush had 291. Uh, strange side Clinton note. had 364? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, Obama had 275. However, presidential directives, Obama had 710. George Bush had 653. So way more presidential directives than executive orders. If those fall under the umbrella, um, I'm not sure because all, yeah. the, all the stats I've seen have defined it as you know a flat rate for executive orders. Uh, I think in order for it to be an actual executive order, it's just the president kind of enacting that. Right, and when you have the, the committee, directive is more of a committee run yes. thing. Which, I mean, Bush and Obama were both dealing with uh, wars of various mm -hmm. kinds. So, you know, advice from the National Security Council or, you know, Department of Homeland Security, FEMA, whichever it were, uh, was, you know, right. these are things that uh, that aren't um, completely out of the norm. So uh, just a brief review of what's, uh, what we've been seeing so okay, far. Okay, also here, I just want to – and I'm, I'm going to try to not – to try to do this without much of a bend – Sure. I mean, I think we can um, talk about these things being pertinent right. without a bias. But I, mean, I just want to compare the first five executive orders from Obama and then Trump. Okay. Uh, these are the first five with Obama coming into office post-Bush, not Correct. a second term. Okay. Correct. Um, so his first one was to make pre uh, presidential records more transparent. Okay. 
uh, required staff to sign an ethics agreement. Okay. Uh, ordered interrogations to comply with international law. Ordered the closure of Guantanamo and then reviewed detention policy options. Which, thing about ordering the closure of Guantanamo, that was one of his first actions. It's still open. It is. I think there's one or two. There's just some. Uh, the thing about executive orders, too, is yes, the president can sign it and it will become law or it can be followed. But there are so many things in play, especially with something like closing Guantanamo, like that has to happen before that can actually work. Um, and and so and that kind of kind of going to go back to the, the probably most recent one. Um, so the first five or the first five executive orders of Trump were to instruct agencies to weaken the ACA's provisions. Uh, expedited the review of infrastructure projects, um, which that's the that's the one with the uh, DAPL and uh, right, right, the, the pipelines, the pipelines. Yes, um, which people did get upset over, and I also am because I fought that fight. Uh, I don't want to do it again, but it, it doesn't just say like yes, build now. That was in order to say like. Okay, we're going to be able to. We're going to now review the uh, everything that goes into actually doing these projects. Um, to be fair, Trump did say it's going to be under review. You're probably going to get okayed, um, but whatever. That's a great Trump impression. I don't. I'm not doing it. Hey, do you want, do you want to hear my William Henry Harrison impression? Here he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. You're great. Uh, the third was to order to build a that wall and other security changes. Uh, fourth was to deport removable aliens who commit crimes. Uh, and his fifth was to restrict travel and immigration from the Middle East. Um, it's, a, it's a busy time. It's a busy time. There's some clear differences, I think, between Obama and Trump's first five. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's... Can my voice go higher? It's... Uh, I think I think you did a, a fairly decent job of staying apolitical on that. I mean, that was just reporting of facts. Um, I mean, we you know you consider that uh, they're coming from separate political parties. They campaigned on completely different platforms. And I mean, if if there's one thing I can give to Trump as far as this is going so far, he's holding true to his platform. I mean, he's doing what he said he would do, more or less. I mean, none of this is coming as a huge shock. Outside of it's sort of like when like if you have a, a cousin. And you're over at like family's house for Christmas or whatever, and your little cousin is like, "Give me some juice, or I'm gonna shit my pants." And you're like, "They're not really gonna shit their pants." And then sure enough, like they'll just stand there and do it. And you're like, "I can't believe they actually did that." But you know, through Here's the shock the thing, and awe, though. it's like they said they do it. The shit still stinks. That's a you know what? Put that on a t-shirt or sew it on a pillow. Um, I uh, no, I mean it's you know um, he uh, in in broader terms he has done these things. Um, and there's, uh, you know, if we're talking about executive orders um, being set on precedents that already exist through laws that already exist, he's not enacting new laws. I mean, there are provisions right. within our government or our laws already that allow these things to happen, which is why I wanted to touch on one of these things that we, we talked about earlier. So uh, one of the things I've been seeing on my uh, Facebook the past couple of days, especially since this immigration ban has gone into effect, is there's lots of citation about the fact that all the countries that are listed on this ban list are countries that were put on a uh, visa immigration waiver list 
that was enacted during Obama's presidency. It makes sense to me now why they keep citing that because I kept thinking like, well, if the guy's intent on dismantling Obama's administration as it is, why does he keep citing his policies? It's because they have to piggyback off of something that yeah. already exists. So that does make sense. Um, so He actually cited, do you have that too? He invoked two laws um, in that executive order. Uh, I, I probably do. Um, the Immigration and Nationality Act um, and then Section 301 of Title Three of the United States Code. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he's, I mean, which are both about immigration and, and, uh, protecting borders during war times. Yes. Um, so, I mean, these, you know, the, these are all things that exist, um, you know, when, in, in the, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, there's, there's laws that exist in this, uh, in the setup already, and he's piggybacking off those as it were. Um, however, there's, you're still going to see misinformation. There's still things going on. So I'd like to highlight um, a couple straw man arguments that I've seen so far. And the best way to respond to them, uh, you know, aside from fuck off. So um, one of the ones I've but seen. But fuck off is my favorite way to respond to people. And I mean, if someone's presenting you a straw man argument, you don't, it's not worthy of a response if it's not what you're debating about. I mean, it's a black hole of just falling into the argument after argument. And it's, it's not long before you're an ad hominem or you're, I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's important to be able to stay on task when you're de debating these subjects. Um, you know what I love about this? And the reason I wrote Jason, I can't do this anymore. Uh, it's because the other two episodes were very nonspecific. Um, and this one is like just raging me. Right yeah. Now. It's, I mean, it's there. And I, mean, and I think, and we, when you listen to the other two episodes, you will know, like, you will hear like, oh, they don't get into specific things that are going on now. That's that's why we uh, thought this was perfect. We hate so much of I hate so much of what is going on right now. And everything I, is perfect and I hate it. I think, you know, uh it's and the best way that we can combat that currently is by staying informed and, and being prepared and helping people understand. Because there's confusion. That that's one of the big things I see is people are getting their fact I mean, I, I was watching the uh uh Spicer's uh press conference this uh, earlier today through kmov uh, as a live feed on facebook and there were people arguing in the comments about things that weren't even going on i mean it's it's you know there's there's reasons that information is available and if you are not doing your part to stay informed yet you find yourselves in these conversations and these debates propagating a bias or something that you don't know what you're talking about you're not just doing yourself a disservice you're dumbing down the whole species so knock it off um <laughs> so one of the one of the main ones they've seen is is you know a, a summary of this is you know though the media is currently in a tizzy because Trump's executive order held up around 300 people at airports, Obama's bombings were reported as completely reasonable to bring about peace. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, were there were there bombings going on in these countries? Yes. I mean, that's there's there's been Middle East bombings since the Bush administration. I mean, and the blood is on you know multiple hands throughout that whole thing. But if we're talking about the immigration ban, we are not talking about Obama and his administration bombing other countries. I'm not applauding it. I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying it's not what we're talking about. Um, you know, the uh, another thing that uh, completely baffles me um, is this, and it's uh, this is fact based. Uh, I just feel like it's important to point that out. Um, one of the things that uh, surprises me is even though this piggybacks off a current law, I don't, and, and I could be wrong if someone can, can tell me if I'm wrong in this, then please do. I wouldn't think that it would bar him from adding other countries if it was truly to face an anti-terror threat. 
Here's what I found. Trump's order makes no mention of Turkey, which has faced several terrorist attacks in recent months. On Wednesday, the State Department updated a travel warning for Americans visiting Turkey, noting that an increase in anti-American rhetoric has the potential to inspire independent actors to carry out acts of violence against U.S. citizens. Trump has licensed his name to two luxury towers in Istanbul. A Turkish company also manufactures a line of Trump-branded home furnishings. Trump's most recent financial disclosure, filed in May when he was a presidential candidate, showed that he had earned as much as $6 million in the previous year from the deals, excluded as well as Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim nation, where there are two Trump-branded resorts underway, built in partnership with powerful local interests. Also untouched by Friday's executive order is the United Arab Emirates, a powerful Muslim ally with whom the United States nevertheless has complicated relations. Trump has licensed his name to a Dubai golf resort, as well as luxury home development and spa. So, take from that what you will. These are That's factual information. You can check it however you'd want. I don't think it's insane to wonder why countries with such a high terror threat so much to the fact that the State Department would label it a travel risk for Americans would be excluded from a ban that's primarily to promote American safety from terror. I mean, connect the dots however you would like in that facet. It just strikes me as odd. Now, as I said, if I'm wrong and he can't add uh, different countries to this list because they, they're piggybacking off of a, a previous bill, a bill or law that was enacted, then that totally makes sense. Um, but it is suspect, I think, in some fashion. Um, you know, take from that what you will. Uh, so, um, I actually have a thing, too, uh, to kind of get more on topic about the executive orders themselves. Sure. Because, Jason, we're not, we weren't talking about Trump's personal Oh, I built a straw man argument. (laughs) Um, so, I was, I was reading an ABC News article, basically, about the, um, about the executive order um, in dealing with the 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 thing, uh, <laughs> basically here's what it the executive order actually says: uh, the ban it bars admission to the U.S. of all nationalists of Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen for 90 days. Okay. Um, it that applies to people with non-immigrant or immigrant visas. Um, and this actually says the order itself leaves open the question of whether it applies to green card holders who are permanent residents, but someone else actually came out and said, no, it actually doesn't apply to them. If you have a green card, you can come back. Yes. Um, and then it also leaves open the question of whether it applies to some dual nationalists of non-U.S. countries. Um, it does not apply to dual citizens who have U.S. citizenship. And I don't know if the other thing about dual nationals of non-U.S. countries has been decided yet either. Uh, I'm not. I think that was in the process of being discussed, as far as it goes. Um, by the time this goes up, it might be a thing. Yeah. Uh, it bars all refugees from anywhere in the world for 120 days, and then it indefinitely bans all Syrian refugees. Yes. Um, which I think is what the most people are the most upset about. And that's regardless of of visa stature of of yeah. any kind of citizen. Uh, I mean, I'm refugees. Refugees. Gotcha. Um, like if you've got a green card already, you're fine, but you can't have, you can't just be like a, a refugee and come over here, which cool, whatever. <laughs> um, it potentially imposes an, an ideological test for entry. These are the scarier parts for me. Okay. Uh, it may impose an ideological test for entry, um, which is to say that vetting could include questions about whether someone supports the U S government and its constitution. Which, 
<sighs> and then uh, there's also a potential religious test uh, that pr- would prioritize refugees prioritize refugees facing religious persecution. Um, I would think that however, in some way that would violate, uh, you know, that uh, we can't mandate a national religion. I would think. I mean, right. That is the one. That's kind of the one leg of this ban of this executive order that a lot of people are latching onto as unconstitutional. Sure. I mean, a lot of, you know, I, I only learned recently that the line under God um, and uh, under God indivisible on the Pledge of Allegiance was added during the Korean War mm-hmm. um, and was not even in the original. So um, there's a lot of facets of that that, uh, you know, it's it's largely opinion-based, but the fact that, I mean, a, a, a possibility right. of a religious test could be implemented it's is... It's not necessarily a religious test. Okay. I, it's more of just like, hey, are you one of the... Are you facing religious persecution in your home country? Here's the thing about that, though. It's it's basically the officials will prioritize refugee claims made by individuals on the basis of religious-based persecution provided that the religion of the individual is a minority religion in the individual's country of nationality. Okay. And it, if this is targeting countries that have specifically Muslim religions, like not national religions necessarily, but the majority religion is Muslim. Sure. Who's that protecting? I did. I did see on on Friday night that uh, Syrian Christians will be given priority right. as far as coming into the country. Well, well, I mean that's what I mean. That's no what Syrians are coming into the country. No Syrian refugees, right, are coming. If you're a Syrian, like established, right. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's it's uh, um, basically yeah. The there's been some court rulings about it already yes um there are federal lawsuits filed in new york massachusetts virginia and washington mm-hmm. and there's um, something in boston too i think uh that's why i said massachusetts fuck hey fuck jason i was thinking what, sh- what state is boston in? send it to zoom oh <laughs> two one three four Boston, Mass. See, I should have known. That's how I always remember it. I got kicked out of a history class for that once. For real? No. Okay. I wish it would. Um, <clears throat> they were petitions called Writs of Habeas Corpus, which we actually talked about. We did. Um, uh, by plaintiffs who had made it to the U.S. but were detained at airports. Okay. Um, in all four cases, the federal district court judges issued emergency stays which meant that they ruled four plaintiffs and ordered the Customs and Border Protections um, not to remove anyone who has arrived or in or was en route to the U.S. Okay. Um, like when this was signed. Yes. I've also I've also seen... Some... Which is why people were trapped. Like people weren't trapped necessarily because of what the executive order said. Yes. I mean, yes, in a way, but it was more like, wait, hold on. How does this affect the people who are landing right now there's or, a, i mean there's a lot a, a lot to digest there you know i mean yeah. um and another thing that i've seen that i kind of wanted to delve into just out of curiosity was that um a lot of people have been saying that this travel ban is the exact same thing that obama did in 2011 um, it's not it's not and i i want to go into that uh president trump himself in a statement on executive order on january 29th said my policy is similar to what President Obama did in 2011 when he banned visas for refugees from Iraq for six months. So I'd like to, to just kind of break that down real quick as to why they're not the same, uh, more or less to bolster the idea of, you know, 
the facts what's important in this in this regard so um so uh here here's what happened in 2011 um the uh it, re, it referred to a six-month ban um and it was a result of the kentucky case uh and that's when the state department stopped processing iraq refugees for six months um even for many who had uh heroically helped u.s forces as interpreters and intelligent assets so uh, the Kentucky case refers to two Iraqis in Kentucky who in May 2011 were arrested and faced federal terrorism charges after officials discovered from an informant that uh, before they'd been granted asylum in the United States, they had constructed improvised roadside bombs in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, so these arrests, they caused an uproar in Congress, and the Obama administration pledged to reexamine the records of 58,000 Iraqis who had been settled in the United States, which is no small task. Um, but the administration also imposed new, more extensive background checks on Iraqi refugees. Um, so the media at the time focused on how the new screening procedures delayed visa approvals, even as the United States was preparing to end its involvement in the Iraq war. So already there's stark differences. It's, it was a review of citizens that were here, refugees that were here, and it was a, a moratorium more or less on issuing it was a review process it was it, it it some would say weakened or some would say strengthened um the visa review process sure and I mean, it elongated we already have one of the longest visa review processes we in really the world. do and i mean uh, another thing that needs to be considered when we're looking at things like this is you know um a lot of times when things like these are, are done in an effort to make our country safer it has a profound effect on our image with the rest of the world um iran already issued retaliatory not that you know there's a a plethora of people that are trying to go over to iran but there are students there currently studying that are having issues getting home now or dealing with with separate things so i mean that there are retaliatory actions for you know physics and for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction so um it's not so much as just washed away i would think uh, as we we'd like to think so right um um yeah i don't know i just I, i'm trying to stay too from getting too political sure um, i mean and one end or the other i think the issue that we're going to run into here when it comes to stuff that's happening as we talk about it is it's gonna it's gonna be political one way or also, another this without... is all gonna fucking change probably even by the time we put this thing up a yeah, lot that's... of like there's still um this abc article again um is kind of going into there's more been more court rulings um uh, based the, in Massachusetts, uh, a judge ordered the uh, Customs and Border Protections to apply existing law, which implied release from detention of anyone with valid visas, lawful permanent residents, and others who would legally be allowed entry. Um, however, that one's not uh, national; doesn't apply nationally, like the New York order. Sure. Um, well, I think I think one of the other because the, the, in New York, uh, the New York judges you know nationwide stay. Sure on this ruling basically basically what they're doing and i want to because it's confusing for me even is he the 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 judges are order are issuing stays um which are a form of preliminary injunctions yes um basically saying all right we're gonna review what all of this means for right now keep doing keep following the law that happened before this was signed sure um However, those stays are very limited and only last about a week or two unless they are uh, extended. Sure. Um, I, I think they will expire. 
Yeah, and I mean, and it's... I'm sure the judges will extend the stays just because it's going to throw everything back into turmoil if they don't. Sure. But... I mean, and this is this is in no way an attempt to downplay the importance of national security. I mean, or I mean, I don't think that the security of our citizens or our country is a partisan issue by any means. I think it's it's something that. Okay, but I'm going to take a, a stand. All right, let's hear it. I want to hear your stand. Um, because it is. I I forget who said I'm who I'm paraphrasing, but basically, if you're giving up any type of freedoms, uh, for your safety, I think it was Thomas Jefferson. You're not really free. <laughs> Uh, or whatever it is it's um i know what you're talking about uh, i've seen it on billboards yeah <laughs> but i mean yeah in a way like it is giving up a lot of what makes america america in order to protect america some idea of america i don't know whatever uh, i think it was, it's if any man is willing to give up his rights in exchange for security he deserves neither it's something along those lines unless we think is, is that the, the quote you're talking about Probably. Okay. I'm also thinking of a William Henry Harrison quote. Is it's is it the one that's like beep? Didn't he die in a bathtub? I don't know. I'll have to fact check that. Um, uh, one, Did he? Uh, will you look that up? I just Can want to make find this out the William he Henry Harrison podcast now. Um, so one one of the other important things to to know about that when you see those comparisons being drawn is that um, uh. While the flow of Iraqi refugees slowed significantly during the, the review, um, refugees continued to be admitted to the United States, and there was not a single month in which no Iraqis arrived. So that's one of the big differences that you're going to see is that when you have – this current one is a ban, more or less. Right. Whereas with Obama's uh, policy, the, it was a much more strict vetting process, plus a rechecking of all those that had been admitted, but at no point did they hinder – access for yeah, new to refugees that, to, to come into the into. process yes to the refugee process um so i, I think another, the other thing is that it was a response to an actual threat i mean it was a realization that there was uh there were people that were in the country that had a past history of terrorism and that it required some kind of action whereas this was i mean it wasn't in direct response to anything outside of the fact that terrorism has occurred you know in the past so uh, that's just you know it's interesting um i just i want people to be aware that when they see those lines being drawn those parallels that it's not it's not it's true. not a one-to-one it's, it's, it's not it's a one-to-one one. One parallel. now there are similarities and it's certainly well, and, and, set and precedent. Trump is yeah building on a precedent exactly um it's it, it's to the most extreme form though i would i would i don't think it's far off also to say. a lot of it for me I have you have to take as a big picture item as well, mm-hmm. um, and comparing what Trump said he was going to do on the campaign trail versus what the executive order is, um, and seeing where that executive order could lead. That's what sometimes scares me, and I know that is is some sort of a fallacy of kind of building things out, um, but I think you do have to take a holistic approach sometimes. Um, I mean, I think part of being informed... And he did say he was going to ban all Muslims. And this is a step in that direction. And he hasn't been lying about anything else. I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, I think it's, you know, but I think that's part of of being informed and knowing your history is being able to recognize when there are issues, you know, and I've, I've had moments, you know, in the past few weeks where I've taken a step back and I've had to ask myself, is this... Is this a lot of reactionary bullshit? You know, I mean, is it is it just fear mongering? I mean, what's what is really going on here? 
And um, I think the more informed that people become, uh, you're going to see one or one of two things. You're either going to see a larger um, movement of people trying to have intelligent conversations and actually understand and process what's going on, or that's going to be rebuked. I mean, in, in an era of alternative facts and post-truth, it it might not matter as much as we would hope it does, you know. And that's a scary thought. And that's what the purpose of this it's is, more or scary. less, you know, is uh, whether you're left leaning or whether you're right leaning, it's important to be come informed. to your come to your debates with facts exactly, or as. William Henry Harrison said, <coughs> "What? He died of pneumonia. <laughs> oh no! <clears throat> That's terrible. Because he wouldn't wear a coat and gave a long as inauguration speech. And that's what happened. That's and he a- got pneumonia because it was cold. That is a man of his principles. Oh gosh, William W H H." WHH. You know, it's just another man of the people. It's another sad death in a long history of people with three names that have sad deaths, you know. Um, what are you gonna do? Yeah. William Henry Harrison, Philip Seymour Hoffman, United States America, Mark Paul Gosser. No, he's still alive. That's Don't please don't. Please I want Mark Paul Gosler to stay around. <laughs> you need Mark Paul Gosler? I need him around. I don't know why. I just feel like he needs to be in the world still. I think, you know, I, I think that uh, as far as people with three names go, he's one of the best. Um, so w- before we wrap this up, let me ask you, uh, after your research, what are your thoughts on executive orders? I mean, do you think they're an important part of, of the system? I mean, do you, it seems that they've accomplished a lot of good throughout history as well. I mean, certainly any governmental power is a double-edged sword, but which, what do you think? No, well, it's a double-edged sword. There's been a lot of good stuff that's come from people ex- like – I don't think we would have gotten as far as quickly with integration and all of that had it not been for an executive order. Sure. Um, you know, we wouldn't have gotten as far as quickly as we did. I mean, it, we ended up in a civil war, but without an executive order. Um, but we're also um, at the best of times right now because of an executive order. <laughs> uh, so it is a, but again, there is a, I, I'm, I'm glad to have found out it's, not an inscrutable like decree and that it is subject to checks and balances just I, like that's, any other law it's reassuring to know that it's it's vetted and it also i think is reassuring to me even now to learn that uh it can't just mandate a new law you know it's it has to create it has to be based off something yeah. that exists so um in the meantime, uh, you know we'll we'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, do your best to stay informed, and uh, if any of this shit matters to you, look into ways you can help. I mean, there was a, a really sad attack that just happened in Quebec, um, and uh, you know if if uh, any of this stuff matters one way or another, um, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you know stay informed, keep looking for the truth, and uh, just help people any way you can. I'm Jason. I'm Jack, and this has been the Double Words Prop, and we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>